Hey Hawks fans, Luke Bruce here. CJ here. Jarman here. If you love the Hawks, then you need to be connected to the Hawks Insiders. It's got all the latest news, match recaps, interviews and specialised content written by the Hawks fans for the Hawks fans. Make sure you subscribe. Get your daily dose of Hawthorne content into your inbox. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Here from Jarman MP for the Insiders. Hi everyone, Ashley Brown here. Welcome to Hawks Insiders. Thursday night, safe space in the heart of the off-season, although the Hawks are back in training. Good to have you all with us. Thank you for joining us. Um, we're going to talk a few things that have happened in the brown and gold world for the next uh, little while. So uh, I am joined by my colleagues and co-hosts, Andrew Weiss. Hello. Good evening, Ash. Good evening, everyone. And certainly would like to say well done. Uh, apologies, I wasn't around for the draft coverage, but um, listened to a lot of it, read it all, and you guys did an incredible job. So well done with all of the draft stuff. Yes, thank you. It was uh, fun to put together. It's always great to get the, the Rob McCartney, sorry, the uh, Mark McKenzie exclusive on the first night. Um, which was great for us, but uh, yeah, it was fun to cover the draft. It's such a did, exciting part of the year. Did you enjoy it, Ash? Back back in the thick of things uh, at, on on at ground level. Uh, yeah, dragged on. For, I mean, I'm one of these people. I think what the draft is. We might discuss this a bit down the track as well. But the draft has turned a bit of a fast lot of ways, and uh, I highly commend. Jake Niles' piece in The Age that dropped today about having uh, some stats I need to make to fix the draft. Really, the premium with first-round picks has gone when Gold Coast can, without doing a whole lot of significant business, can get first four first-round picks. The first round of the draft should be 18 picks. It's going to be 29. So a fair bit and, and compensation picks and what have you um, is all wrong as well. So they've got a bit to fix the draft. It's always good to be. There's a lot of excitement in the room. Um, to be there when the players walk in. For, and the players really are, are, for the first hour, their heads are spinning at first hour. They get drafted, they meet their club, they get put on stage, get presented with their jumper. They, they go up about, uh, take a lift about four levels up to the media area and have a world of photos and social media with the, engage with the new club, all in press conference. It really, their heads are spinning by the end of it. So it's a very heady experience. So I don't know how any of them possibly would get any sleep at all that night. And then they've got to be back there, turn o'clock the next morning for a follow-up media conference. Um, it's it's incredible. So it's great to be there, very exciting. Um, to, and uh, to see it all come together and you sort of remember where you were when players are drafted and go on to become champions and superstars. So that's, that's all good. But I think the draft itself, um, the structure of the draft has a bit of fixing up to do, but they will uh, sort that out. Andrew Dillon seems to be of a mind, the new AFL boss, to change a few things from a football perspective. That's really been the focus of his first few weeks and months in the job. So I think the draft sounds like it's going to be the next, and I look forward to seeing what changes he makes. Brad, hello. Hello, all. Good to be here. Great to see the boys back at training. I know we're only on uh, Summer Eve. Summer starts tomorrow, which is exciting. But the Allegedly. Bloody cold. <laughs> yeah. It's a good point, but the season will be on our doorstep in no time. It'll be with us very quickly, which is exciting. I know we're going to look at 
um, you know, the side that I think will run out for round one next season, barring any injuries. We are going to dissect your dissect, selection dissection in a bit. AJ, Andrew Johnson, guest host this evening. Good to have you with us. Thank you, Ash. Boys, nothing says um, it's summer quite like when you get flooded into your driveway as we did up in Daniloquin in the last 24 hours where we had some flash flooding. So, yeah, definitely summer around the corner. But they say there's no such thing as climate change. So um, hopefully all's well with you. And if, you're, if you've uh, had other things to attend to and you found time to be with us tonight, that is great as well. Um, so we've got a little bit to get through. Um, a bit, a bit of news from the Hawks. Nothing substantial, but just enough going on that we thought we would um, get together for space tonight. Um, we don't do them all that frequently uh, when there's no major events on in, in the summer, but worth doing one now. We might do one or two more before the end of the year and then take a break, I think, through January. Um, and the first one is the coaching staff being finalised today. Worth a bit of a... Um, a bit of a chat and certainly one um, interesting name that was announced today. So as announced by the club, Sam Mitchell is the senior coach. Brett Ratton, we knew, comes in as head of coaching, performance and development. Um, Cade Simpson remains as assistant coach for the back line. David Hale will again take the reins as the assistant coach for the midfield. Adrian Hickmott, who was, I think, some sort of midfield role, um, and I think sort of mentor for Mitch himself, I think probably moves away from that role a little bit to become the assistant coach for the forwards. So that's the third forward line coach at the club in three seasons. So that will be interesting. He has really much a, almost a clean, we'll talk about that a bit, Brad, with your uh, thing a bit down the track, but he almost has a clean sheet to work from given how many changes and how many players have come into that forward line over summer. It really is that sort of the part of the side that's, be most experimental next year, but tremendous potential for rapid growth. Um, Andy Collins, head of development, the role he's had for the last few years. David McKay, or Mackay, depending on where you come from, um, former Adelaide player. He has been sort of around the club for a couple of years as a de- development coach, more with Box Hill and with the AFLW program. He steps in as a development coach. Zane Littlejohn, Box Hill senior coach, development coach the hardest working man at the footy club, I'm told, given the out, tremendous amount of hours he does. The Hawks is his day job. And then late afternoon, he sort of switches into Box Hill mode when all those blokes finish work and come to training. And the announcement today that Aaron Sipos, formerly of the St Hilda Football Club, and Brad, this is your wheelhouse and mine, the Philadelphia Eagles, coming in as a development coach. My question for you, Brad, is, Let's hope he's not the guy who's trying to teach a player to kick a shot for goal late in the final quarter. Oh, absolutely. Unfortunately, uh, we saw what Explain happened. Explain that to last... everybody what I'm talking about. Uh, unfortunately, last year's Super Bowl, Aaron played in when Philadelphia played against the Kansas City Chiefs. And it was his error late in the game, which arguably cost Philly the Super Bowl victory. I actually had a good chat to Aaron. He came into uh, the SCN offices literally a few days after the Super Bowl. Um, he's a really, really good person, speaks really, really well. But interesting to see how he settles in. I'm surprised he didn't stay on. Um, he's not the worst up hunter in the NFL, but he's obviously been offered a great opportunity at uh, the Hawks. Um, like I said, I don't think he's even that old. He's probably, oh, might be in his early 30s. Very maybe. early 30s. Yeah, he Just wants to, to explain the error a little bit. He was 
he punted the ball away. He was supposed to kick it in a certain direction. He miscued um, Kadarius Tony. Uh, I think it was Brad the punt returner for the punt Chiefs. Returner, yeah. uh, was able to field the punt and return it well down the field. Instead of pinning the Chiefs back, they were able to get a fantastic return, and they scored a few minutes. Uh, they scored a few plays later. I think it was at the go ahead or the sort of the match ceiling touchdown. So if you know Philadelphia at all, uh, he will be hated there for the rest of his life. So I was sort of blaming him in a way for not uh, – probably a blessing that he didn't make the team for this year. But he comes in and the Hawks are certainly pitching it as someone who has been in a very high-performance environment. And they don't come much more high-performance in a lot of ways than the NFL NFL teams. So I think they see that as a bit of a plus as well as he's got a bit of a passion for coaching. Even before he went to the NFL, he was doing, he was doing development coaching and schoolboy coaching of, of footy. So they would think, I imagine, that ticks a few boxes. Absolutely, and he was in the NFL system for you know for a couple of seasons in Philadelphia. Is one of, uh, if not currently, the best run uh, franchise in the NFL. They're currently the best team in the NFL. Good chance to head back to the Super Bowl. Uh, so I'm sure he would have gained a lot of great experience there. And we know that Sam, you know, has obviously spent time um, overseas. He spent time with uh, Ange at the Spurs in the last few months as well. So. He obviously will like the yeah, uh, IP and stuff that uh, Aaron uh, would have learned overseas. So I think it'll be good for the younger players as well because he's not that old. He's younger than a couple of the players on our list. So I think um, the players are going to respect him and hopefully he can also you know teach some players set shots as well because I think he's got a beautiful kick. I know when he played for St Kilda, he was a really, really uh, good kick uh, for goal as well. Um, now, for totally, of course, if you've got a comment or a question you want to take part in the conversation, request to speak. We'll get you on as soon as possible. There should be plenty of opportunity to make this as wide-ranging a conversation as possible. What's notable, uh, we see in AJ about this coaching st- uh, group they've got for 2024 is there's more bodies. I think they were hindered last year because they were paying, uh, under soft cap, they were paying the last year of Alistair Clarkson's well, a couple of years ago, they were, they were paying the last year of Clarkson's contract and they've been a bit more financially frugal. But Sam Mitchell, clearly this year, and there has been an increase in the soft cap as well. But I think Sam Mitchell, this year for the first time in his third year, has finally been able to put together the sort of ideal coaching structure. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Just as you said, the combination of the increased soft cap as well as the Clarkson payout meant we were probably one short um, last season. Um, but the, the two interesting notes in the last 24 hours, other than the SIPOS, is, is that elevation of David McKay um, to a full-time development role in the men's program. Um, so, you know, that, that is an additional body on top of SIPOS, but also um, haven't had the chance to see a day, of the, in the, a day in the life which has either just dropped or will be dropping as we speak, but... But the preview video for it yesterday had Brett Ratton talking about Clay Tucker at training and you saw everyone listening to Brett Ratton analysing that passage of play that just gives you that that additional sneaky hint that that the role that he's going to play from a senior managing the coaches and his input into the playing group is going to be really significant as well. So that was a, a pretty good watch and no doubt that the full version will be great to watch as well. I'm halfway through at the moment. Uh, I interrupted watching it to do this. Um, I'm halfway through the yo-yo test. So 
we know how that. I'm looking forward to seeing how that actually uh, plays out on video. We know that Josh Weddle destroyed it, but um, it will be interesting to see how they do this on this video. Um, and we might next time we, we regather on the spaces, we might uh, look at that video and a bit of a review of that as well. But it's it's quite enlightening at the moment. I could do with a bit. Uh, Brad, this is your wheelhouse. Could do with a bit of uh, tight, more tight editing, but. Um, it's uh, it's 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 pretty a pretty good insight, but yeah, I think they talked with Ratton. The the line always was he would take over some of Sam's duties. I think Sam was carrying a pretty heavy load. I think it'll allow Sam to get back to a bit of just one on one coaching, which he really likes to do, and you know, obviously not having to run and take every meeting in the in the manner that he had to. I think Ratton again takes it over the sort of spiel that we see in that teaser video of Ratton giving. Is a sort of speech and sort of talk to the players that Mitchell would have been giving last year, and I think it just freshens the room up, doesn't it, to have more than one voice. Actually, I'm also really intrigued on the the ongoing evolution of Zane Littlejohn as the coach, Box Hill, and a development coach. Um, Zane coached North Launceston, which is my my club from back home where I grew up supporting, and we've watched him through being a really good coach at state league level, then up to the Brisbane Lions in their development role, then to Box Hill. He's someone who there's a little bit of talk in Tassie, particularly about the way he goes about things and being a guy with a good education background, and we know how well that's respected at Hawthorne, but as someone who maybe in two to three years when a Tasmanian team is entering the competition might be pretty high on the list of guys that they would be very interested in as taking on as a coach. So it'll be interesting to see how he continues to develop across our club system and how that builds him into the future, because I think that's one to keep a bit of an eye on. Yeah, you wonder with Tasmania, I mean, that's a good, really good point you raise. Um, how they'll go about setting up their first coaching staff and whether they go down the path of appointing their coach, like the Giants did with um, Kevin Sheed, and I think the Suns did with McKenna as well, is get the coach in 12 months before the season start, before they enter the competition, just that's to the, plan and what have you. That's definitely an option. And the other one, and this is a long way off ever being a possibility considering he's currently got a job, but something that I've heard from a lot of people back home is that there was this desire around the comp of getting a young coach and getting someone who has Tasmanian roots and a bit of experience, i.e. Chris Fagan, to be at the club in kind of a senior coaching advisory role to help support that young person through to the transition of being a senior coach. Again, that's a mile off happening especially with Fagan still at Brisbane and doing a very good job there. But that's kind of the path that I've heard that they're looking at. Oh, no, no, there's no question that you know, I would say it's highly likely, highly likely that Chris Fagan will be involved in the Tasmanian team when it starts up. I think it's a really strong possibility. If not, it's probably not the senior coach. I think you know, he'll be what is he, he's in his 60s now, I think, Fagan. So I don't think, I suspect he'll be too old, but he as the... Overseer of the of the coach uh, of, of the senior coach, um, director of coaching, or whatever it is, or the sort of role that Ratton's holding at Hawthorne this year, and there are other people doing similar roles at other clubs. It makes all the sense in the world. But um, yeah, little John might might have said, you know, we're still talking twenty twenty eight, I think, at this stage. So we're talking another four, four, five, six, seven, four more seasons before they enter the competition. Um, you know, that's four years for for little John to really. Stake his claim. He's doing what so many people say he has to do, which is coach a team in his own right. I know he's done that at uh, for North Launceston. Now he's doing it at Box Hill, but he's serving a great apprenticeship. Very, very highly rated at Hawthorne as well, just quietly. So, you know, they won't be in a hurry to, to shove him out the door, I don't think. But, um, yeah, I think I know they had the uh, 
the was it uh, Proctor who was coach for a year or two, or maybe one year at Box Hill, but they tend to like to rotate their coaches at Box Hill for every two years, um, and then move them on. So um, I know they had Sam Mitchell and then Proctor with one year appointments each. But in the ideal world, you coach Box Hill for two years and then you end up somewhere else uh, in, in the Hawthorne system. You go, to, you, you move up to be a line coach. So it's it's a it's a it's a pretty good staff. It's 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 the right blend of. Uh, Experienced coach have been doing it for a long time. Uh, younger coaches, uh, players just out of the game. So I think you know Mitchell, as I said earlier, I think he's actually got the uh, the coaching staff he wants for the first time. You know, the one with all the pressure on him clearly is um, Adrian Hickmott with that sort of to build a, a and construct a whole new forward line and build some chemistry. And you know, we talk about how the season's going to look next year. You know, that round one, it's pretty quick. You know, it, there's not a lot of time to build a new forward line. Brad and a lot of moving new moving parts to go into it. Oh, absolutely. And we've seen the forward line last season struggled quite a lot, especially in the front, the first half of the season. Mitch Lewis obviously missed the first six or seven games, which was a, lo- a massive uh, loss for us. But we've seen Trolls obviously come in, Jack Ginevin's coming in, Nick Watson we drafted with pick five. Uh, Chad Wingard's obviously going to be out for at least the first half of uh, the season. So our forward line round one next year is probably is going to definitely have uh, Ginevin, uh, Watson, will, I think, is going to play round one. Uh, Choll's definitely going to play. So that's already half of the starting six is going to be new from last season. And then we're probably going to have Jack Gudston, I think, will play round one as well. It's between him and Granger Barras. So... The forward coach and Sam as well. The forward line is going to have a whole new look come round one next season. And, um, you know, uh, Ramsden's another one who played a few games last year. I think he'll play a bit of footy um, next year as well. Uh, Sarong's the other one. I think played a bit in the back line last year, but might get a run as a forward as well. And then, you know, we've got uh, Dylan Moore. Uh, Connor McDonald plays that high half forward role really well as well. So... Um, it's going to be interesting to see, but a lot of work before round one. I think it's going to take a few weeks for the forward line to structure up and settle in. Unfortunately, our first five games of the season are not simple at all. So, yeah, we need to get off to a good start next year. We want to be at least, um, I'd say, three and two after the first five games. Well, um we might use that as a good segue, Brad, to talk about your uh, your best 22 that you published recently post the draft. Just run us through that again if you've got it in front of you and uh, we'll throw it around. And as, as I said, if you've got some comments or observations, now it's your time to debate, Brad. If there's something you've always wanted to do, now is your opportunity to so jump on. So, Brad, run us through it again. I'll go front facts. This is what I would have as our starting team um, come round one uh, next year. So I've got the back line. Hardwick, Blank, um, Impey, Halfbacks, uh, Weddle, Sicily, uh, Scrimshaw, Centreline, Amon, Newcomb, Ward, Half Forward Line, Moore, Lewis, McDonald, Full Forward, Bruce, Chol, uh, Ginevan. Lewis or Chol's an interesting one. I'm not sure which one will play full forward, which one will play centre forward. Ruck, Reeves, Day, and Nash. And then I've got five on the bench. We're not sure about the sub at the moment, but I've got uh, Warple, uh, Gunston, Giath, Watson, and McKenzie. So there's a few question marks there still. I think I'd be surprised. This is what I'd go for round one, but I'd be surprised if both of 
Giath and Scrimshaw played in the same team. I know Sam absolutely loves CJ, so if he's 100% fit, he's going to play. I think Scrimshaw's in a bit of trouble. Um, I've got McKenzie in over Finn, but I think Sam will pick Finn round one to tag Zach Merritt. I think Cam McKenzie will start the season off at Box Hill. Uh, then, the, you know, you've got the depth with the likes of Granger Barras, who I think will play a lot of footy. I think Gunston starts early on in the season. Um, Sam Butler's one who's under a lot of pressure next season. Um, makes the backup for Reeves. Sam Frost is another one that might play early. I'd actually play Seamus uh, Mitchell in my side, but I just don't think he'll get a game over um, either CJ or Scrimshaw. But I think Seamus Mitchell should be in the side. Um, D'Ambrosio is the other one. That's a very good chance to play earlier in the season. Um, and then you've got the likes of Ramsden, Sarong, Bailey McDonald, who we saw last year show pretty good signs, and then the two small forwards in O'Sullivan and uh, Bennett. So the depth is there. I know last season Box Hill made the prelim final. Their side next year is going to be even stronger. So I reckon they can make the grand final next year in the BFL and win it. AJ, what do you think of his team? Needs more Harry Morrison. Nah, sorry, mate. Harry Morrison is a Harry Morrison's. I like Harry Morrison. I think he's a solid player, but he ain't in my starting 22 or 23. No, and that's legitimately a fair fair point, Brad. I think you balance the side out really well, and it's an interesting one for a list that we've looked over the last couple of years and said, oh, you know, there's there's a lot of guys on there who are on the list, but are they going to contribute something? But when you're, you're reading off there the list of players who aren't in your round one team at the moment, and you're saying, you know, we have this many players, but only one of them is going to get a game, and you're flipping a coin between Scrim and CJ and things like that. You kind of sit back and you hear that and think, this list is in a good spot at the moment. We've got a little oh. bit of depth for once after a couple of years of not having any. So you kind of feel... Hearing that, and I've seen a few of the other best 22s, which have been strange, to say the least. But you start to say, okay, well, there's options there. What a great thing that is. Absolutely. And there's, I've heard from a couple of spies that uh, Amon's been training on the half-back line, uh, which is an interesting one. I'd like to see that because I think it'd be brilliant there. The only issue is, is he touched on uh, Morrison. Amon at the moment is our only quality uh wingman in the side so I don't know Sam might have a plan uh Weddle's one I'd like to see play more up the ground uh next season if Carl Lamont does go to half back Blake Hardwick apparently has been spending a bit of time training with the forwards which I'm going to be honest would be the most ridiculous decision ever I know he was a gun as a uh, junior kicked a lot of goals but he's by far our best small defender and other than Seamus Mitchell, no one else in our side can play that uh, role. We drafted Nick Watson. We brought in Jack Kinnevin. Uh, um, we've got Butler there as a backup. Luke Bruce, Dylan Moore still on the side. If they play Blake Hardwick as a forward, that'd be a horrendous, horrendous decision in my opinion. Brad, but he's, Brad. But he's such a reliable defender. How do I not try him on the forward? You know that he's going to. Yes, you know you know that he's more than likely going to go back and play round one in the back line and and take to it like a duck to water. So why not just try him as a forward? What, what have they got to lose, Brad? No, tra- uh, maybe training at him as a forward, maybe to learn the craft more. I know he actually played a bit there in the back half of last season, but the small forward role now where we've struggled in the past with depth, we've got enough uh, players there. We don't have, other than Hardwick and Seamus uh, Mitchell, 
who else can play that small forward role? Why would you play Hardwick as a small forward? Nick, welcome. Yeah, yes, guys. Um, just a little bit on what uh, Brad said. Just not, no need to panic, but Amon, Lewis, Gunston, um, Chole haven't joined the main group yet. Um, they've been training to the side with CJ as well, and Reeves too has been. They've had sort of lighter duties. Um, CJ just started participating today in a few of the, the broader drills with the players. Um, and on Hardwick, I can't see how you can put him forward. I know there's been a bit of talk about it, but how do you then fit in McDonald, um, Dylan Law, you know, with Ginnivan and all the other ones that Brad's gone through? People <coughs> just run out of spaces. Yeah, silly, silly decision if that's what they're thinking, especially because our back line now is probably the weakest part of our uh, setup at the moment. You can't move players. Like Hardwick's one of our five most important players and the best player we have in that uh, position is an absolute, like we've spoken about it a lot, he's an absolute superstar in the position he plays. You don't move those players. It'd be like taking James Sissel and playing him in the forward. Is it a bit horses for courses kind of thing, Brad, of just training him a little bit up forward as maybe he's more of a defensive half forward and saying, okay, well, if we ever get into a position where that's the best lineup for the team, then we can use Dimmer in that position as a one-off and just more using him as a very sparingly as a utility player. Yeah, maybe. I know. I think Clarko did it um, with Jordan uh, Lewis a few times. I think there was a game, I think he tagged maybe Heath Shaw, I think it was, and I think he kicked four or five goals playing that role. Um, and we know that Hardwick as a junior kicked a lot of goals as a small forward. But yeah, be interesting. Obviously, Sam's going to change quite a few things up. You know, uh, we won't, we did win seven games last year. We beat both grand finalists, you know, and played pretty well. But I know we're a really young side. We can't finish in the bottom four again next season. They need Hawthorne need a win. Like I've got us winning eight games, but realistically, we need to be winning ten games next season. Just a couple of uh, obs from me um, with what you said, Mick. Um, I- I'm certainly not worried about those three forwards. It's CJ for me, and I'm not sure if anyone heard Rob Mc- Rob McCartney speak on SEN over the last week or so. He he was on with. Andy and Andy and um, spoke about how he is on a heavily modified program, which suggests that he's still a long way off being um, being ready to contribute significantly. Um, and, and Brad, my only other question for you, um, because I think you've pretty much nailed it and, and we're arguing about uh, probably players people like more to fill positions because you can lottery heaps of them. If Amon's going to half back, you put, I think, Josh Ward on on one wing and there's been quite a bit of talk from from him, from the club and, and what we've seen and, and Mick's mentioned too about him training all summer as an inside mid. So that also then raises the question because he, he played a lot of the second half of last season as a... As a winger, um, again, the void of wingmen, particularly if Amon's not there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's why I think Sam will experiment. I think we'll see the likes of uh, Weddle and maybe a CJ play on the wing. Josh Ward, I'd love to see him go as an inside mid. I think he can be a quality at inside uh, mid. Up by all uh, reports, he's been training uh, the house down. He's going to be going into his third year. So, 
you know, he's started to string the back half of last year some quality games uh, together. He was a high draft pick. He's going to be a really good player. The thing is, is where does he fit in? You know, he's going to be part of that second midfielder rotation. But we saw last season the midfield's more or less set. I know we've spoken about it. I think our midfield played together most of uh, the season. We were lucky. Our injuries last year was probably in the top two or three in the AFL, especially in the midfield. They didn't miss too many games. Will Day obviously missed a couple through suspension. We know what happened with Sis, which was an absolute joke. And Mitchell Lewis missed, you know, the first six or seven games. But uh, other than that, um, uh, injury list last year was one of the best in the AFL. So hopefully that it happens again. To, that happened, you know, two years in a row is probably not going to happen. So guys like Ward, uh, McKenzie's the other one. Like, I have him in my side. I don't think he's going to play round one. I think Finn McGuinness will play. There won't be room for both of them, obviously, with um, Warpole, Newcomb, Day, Nash, Ward. Um, Connor McDonald, as I've mentioned before, I think he's a lock in our best team. I've seen a few best 22s from the media experts that didn't have Connor in their side, but he's going to play. So, unfortunately. Disrespect for Connor McDonald among the. I just. <laughs> I just think that that was just lazy. I think that is Fox footy just rehashing their team from a couple of months ago. I I actually think that's all it was because actually Brandon Cohen, who's in good friend of Great the friend insiders. He never wants to come on, Brando. Never wants Open to come on. Open invitation, Brando. Always. We're always ready for you, Brandon. Um but he, uh, I remember as soon as that, the, the Fox footy article went and he had, uh, he had the, uh, the, the luck, the, the fact that he had been in all of our spaces listening to it. He's a Hawks man through and through. So when he put his team together on the AFL site, obviously Connor McDonald was included. I just think Fox footy have been lazy and all they've done is rehash their team from a couple of months ago. So I don't think it's multiple media sources not putting him in their team. I think it's just the Fox footy factor. A um, couple of points. Um, so we knew that CJ was, I mean, I think Rob McCartney said that to us, or someone said it to us, that they were, they were going to change the way he trained because he kept breaking down. So I think that, I, I think, CJ is probably unlikely to play round one because they just give him a different approach and it might be he doesn't come back till round four or five but having having trained differently and sort of put all the work into him and his body not having broken down that he will then turn around and, and, and be ready to go and Stuart makes a very good point with a comment as well that maybe Hardwick's training as a forward uh, to show the uh, to teach the young forwards what to do because he's He's beaten so he's had the better of so many small forwards, Cody Waitman, especially if you're listening, son. Um, you know he knows the tricks, so maybe it's sort of a trying as a forward to show them almost uh, how how to play this game. Do you want to get the better of backman like me? I mean, maybe that's there's a there's that sort of uh, sandwich you're playing chess, whatever else is playing checkers sort of approach. You would have to think so that that would be the reason. Sam's very smart coach, so. That would make sense. It'd be interesting, yes. And uh, like I said, yeah, like it's going to be fascinating because our depth is really, really strong. There's going to be, you know, five or six quality players that are going to start the season at uh, Box Hill. And we've seen 
as we saw last year, Sam's not afraid to give uh, the youngsters a go, and he's also not afraid to send senior players back to Box Hill. We saw with Jack Scrimshaw uh, last season, which is why I think Scrimshaw is quite vulnerable heading into next season. I know uh, he's a touchy one because a lot of our supporters I've read, they've uh, written out to me numerous times how Scrimshaw's a lock in the 18 and he's a gun and his last year he was injured. I don't buy it. There's obviously Sam. There's obviously something that Sam doesn't like about his uh, game. Doesn't like it. Too laconic. Yeah. So um, you know, Scrimshaw might be one who they might even play as a forward. You know, he's got a good mark and he's got really good skills. So if he struggles as a defender and our forward line doesn't structure well, like I said, it's going to take. I reckon it'll take our forwards at least you know a good four or five weeks to gel. We saw that with our uh, midfield. Uh, last season, and by the end of the season, our midfield, despite being so young, was probably one of the best in the competition. Daniel, good evening. Welcome. Hey, boys. How are we going? Very well. I think with um, Hardwick, it's an experience thing. So we know that he can slot back, and he doesn't really need to do the work in the back line because we know what he can do, and they know what he can do. I think it's an experience thing to change. Like You look at that forward group, it's pretty immature and also immature in terms of small forwards and the Hawthorne way of going about it. So I think it's just a pure maturity and experience thing to teach a younger guys training habits and the like. Yeah, absolutely. That is a very valid point. I can't see any way that he's not playing in the East Country back pocket position around round one. He can go back there one week before the start of the season and, and pick it up as he always has. There's a, there's a method behind have him train as a forward. Might be also about having the experienced player. Um, it might be with Hardwick in the forward line. Another thing to think about, gents, is that we, we talked about last year with Hawthorne, they hadn't trained how to save games. Remember the Richmond game, they just collapsed and Mitchell said, we, haven't tra- we just haven't trained to save a game. Maybe having Hardwick play in the forward line uh, in the pre-season is they get that situation where they need to save a game. Um maybe they want to have Hardwick in a different part of the ground. That could be another way of thinking about it as well. Yeah, absolutely. We, we obviously did see with the Crow, you know, we lost um, two games in a row when we played uh, GWS in uh, Adelaide and then uh, the week after we lost to the Crows in Artazi. Both those games we led by two goals with only a few minutes left. And we obviously touched on uh, the Richmond game as well, Ash. So those are the type of games that I'm sure they're going to be training for now because we should be winning those games next season. I think last season, or this season in 2023, other than maybe West Coast, we had the most, I think, 50-plus point uh, losses as well, which is something I think Sam's going to want to fix quick heading into next year. I think we're going to be in a lot of closer games next season, and hopefully we'll win a few of those close games that we lost last year. Brad, maybe Mick. that's... Well, sorry. Go uh, on, then we'll get to Mick. Brad, maybe that's why we're bringing Aaron Sipos in uh, a bit of two-minute offence drill kind of stuff <laughs> from, from the NFL. No, no the drill. The Tom Brady drill. Uh, Mick. I was going to say, they haven't done any full game match practice yet that I've seen. So this, you know, the when they say hard with that forward, what they've done is they have a um, 12 on 12 on the wing but the ball ball sort of um, goes up and down against the bibs and the jumpers and then they blow the whistle and there are four blokes standing in the goal square who then lead out and take the mark from whoever's got the ball and they have a shot for goal. Yeah. That's the forward practice at the moment. So it's nothing it's nothing huge there. And just on Brad's point, there's, an, there's a puff piece, I call it a puff piece on Channel 7 tonight, where they interviewed um, Dylan Moore, Scrimshaw 
and Will Day was there, and they do their extra training at a, at a local gym. So whether it's a sponsorship deal, a, a quid pro quo arrangement. And Scrimshaw admitted there that he came back unfit last year, which was quite interesting. I thought that was a that was the most revealing bit of it. Um, but yeah, in terms of go on. The suggestion on Scrimshaw last year was he didn't do anything other than the bare minimum requirements. Where you've got guys like Will Day and Dylan Moore and others who are just doing all the extras without probably all the extras. You know, Scrimshaw gets to the club when he's supposed to get to the club, leaves when the day's finished, but not a minute more. And I think that was the message that coaches were trying to get across to Scrimshaw last year, giving him some tough love. Um, Later in the year, he played some good footy. I mean, that's the thing. Maybe the penny did actually drop it. And when he sort of caught up into fitness later in the season, he had a fair bit to contribute. So, uh, but it's very interesting to come out. I haven't seen that, but I'll, I'll have a look at it after, uh, after we're finished. Um, but that's a fairly interesting admission and a candid admission for Scrimshaw to make. And, and that's what, that's what, you know, read between the lines. He did say it straight out, but, you know, that was clearly the issue. You know, he, he didn't realise that everyone was progresses and his, and he watches the um, video today of um, Newcomb. That's what Burge is saying about taking the next step. Um, and that's what it's all about, obviously. Yeah, it is. Um, Brad, any more thoughts on your team before we move on? I want to have a bit of a look at the draw. No, uh, uh, that was it. Just I think we're going to get a lot of uh, surprises. I think, you know, round one next season, up in the air, as I said, there's, I reckon, six or seven uh, question marks heading to round one. Which is a good thing because, you know, as I've said, you know, we've got a lot of depth. And I think the selection, you know, might come down uh, to the matchups. You know, if he picks Finn McGuinness and we know Sam loves him, I think he picks him to play on Zach uh, Merritt. Last season's round one was an absolute disaster. I know the first half was really, really good, but Essendon ran us off our legs last year. I think Sam's going to really focus on fitness. Uh, this season, um, and the Essendon game is a game that we should be uh, winning. So, um, yeah, the selection is going to be match-up based, but yeah, like a few question marks and quality players are going to start the season off at uh, Box Hill. So let's have a look at the draw for next year. I don't want to go sort of game by game. I think I want to take a sort of broader look at trends and that sort of thing in the draw. So obviously the Essendon game is round one. It's almost the reverse of last year, of, of this year's game. Essendon are using it to celebrate the, 20, the 40th anniversary of their 84 Premiership, which uh, I don't know how many people on this seat. Put your hands up and uh, if you were there. The darkest day, my worst ever day at the football was the uh, 84 Grand Final. So they're going to celebrate that and rub our noses in it one more time on that day. So if ever Hawthorne was going to beat Essendon in a game, that is the one. Um, that'll be a spectacular round one game, uh, probably in front of 70,000, 75,000 people on a Saturday afternoon. It's interesting. So they've got, um, they only have six MCG home games and three of those are done within the first seven weeks of the season because it's Melbourne in round two. It's Geelong in round three on the Easter Monday as Hawthorne's home game. And then Sydney round seven. Uh, we see, I know you know, I like to talk about the draw, but how are you feeling about um, three consecutive four o'clock Sunday games between round six and round eight? Yeah, I think there was very much uh, tell us how you really feel in terms of the slots we've been put in. Um, for me personally, it works out really, really well. It's a really good time slot from uh, whatever other family activities you need to be looking after over over the course of a weekend. But I think I think there just has to be this understanding that we're not there yet and we're not prime time. And 
yep, there's only six MCG games and, you know, there's, there's a lot of um Well, it's nine MCG games altogether, six as home games. Six as home games. You know, there was general disappointment. We were look, looking at the commercial ramifications and the reality is when we're playing good footy and winning more games than we're losing, it's going to turn around. Like, like that's just a fact and we're going to get better slots and we're going to have Thursdays or Fridays or Saturday nights and that's just the nature of it. So uh, what I find interesting is, you know, we were, we were hypothesising, I guess, as to whether we would try and um, use our first round draft pick for next year uh, as any sort of leverage to get more picks in the first round this year if players are available that we wanted or, you know, that there was um, talk about what could be done there. I just wonder if after the, the fixture drops, whether, you know, there's an element of based on the difficulty of the draw, you know, we want to win seven to ten games. But if they, you know, haven't been thinking about, you know, if it, if it's if it's a five to eight game season where we're going to, uh, game win season based on the draw we're going to finish in the bottom three or four again and have another top top five pick um the well i mean you look at hawthorne i mean that you we, we talked about this you are what your record says you are 7 16 and 16th finish the second half of the season without knowing the score line off the top of my head they 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 finished the season as a middle middle level team they were middle of the ladder team come the come the the end of the season on form. So if that form translates into the start of the, into this season, they'll win 10 games. They, they should win and, 10 games. And there's no doubt our list is better. It's deeper. It's better. You know, Brad talked about the forward line. That's much better. A season into all the kids. And we did lose, what, three games by three points or less. So um, a few things turn around together with the extra experience and the ability now to kick... 100 points every other week gives us more of a chance to win closer to 10 games. You... So a couple of things with the draw just to um, look at. Obviously, no Thursday or Friday night games. The club did have a presenter case to Channel 7. Um, a couple, a few of the heavyweights from the club did go and meet Channel 7 uh, two or three weeks before the draw came out to plead their case for a bit of prime time exposure. I think... It's interesting to see how many people without a Hawthorne allegiance uh, said it was poor scheduling not to have a Collingwood Hawthorne Friday night game, given so many storylines between the two clubs. It's now probably one of the two or three. It's, it's arguably the best game of um, one, probably one of the best two or three games of gather round now to have the and and saving the best to last that late Sunday afternoon game against uh, Adelaide at Adelaide Oval, which has a few people working out if you were to drive back from Adelaide. Straight after the game, what time you get back to Melbourne? Could you be back in back in Melbourne in time for work the following day? So, a few people, myself possibly included, are trying to work out whether that's now feasible to uh, to do the drive back and be back in time for, to, do, to do some work on the Monday. They've got three trips to Adelaide altogether because the gather round they play both Port and Adelaide away, which I know I think when Brad did his uh, his round by round prediction, he wasn't particularly optimistic the Hawks would be competitive. The MC, the Marvel home game this year is at least against uh, a non-Marvel tenant club. Brisbane, Brisbane, isn't it? Brisbane. Brisbane. 
it's a shame we don't get an MCG because I think we'd be a better chance of beating yes. them. Yes, Brisbane are actually, they play yeah. well at Marvel. Brisbane um, are very good at Marvel. Geelong at Geelong, no complaints given that the first game's at the MCG. Um, fascinating to see, given a whole new stand and how many seats will be made available for Hawthorne people. You think in a forty thousand seat stadium, there would be capacity for I don't know, maybe Hawthorne would get access to three to five thousand seats and where they put them is where they put them in that new stand or where they go into that sort of old and the thing about Geelong is uh, of course given it's a gerrymander stadium uh pork barreling park it's uh, every part of the Geelong stadium is 15 years or is 15 years or or younger so um but where the Hawthorne where the away I think it'll be sort of the new stand up the back sort of on a back on a half water flank or something but um That'll be interesting to see how the Hawks go down there. The skinny wings, Brad, you didn't hold out great hopes of the Hawks doing well either, but um, this is a new team. Maybe they'll go a bit better. They don't play the first game in Tassie till round nine, which is interesting. So they've got like the Tassie schedule is quite compressed. Nine games in about 15, four games in about 15 weeks down there, including the last game of the year against North. The games that haven't been allocated yet, so that starts in round 16 against um, West Coast. The ones that are interesting, and that Geelong game has potential if Hawthorne are doing all right to be a maybe a Saturday night game. Um, the uh, Collingwood game, you know, Collingwood are flying and the Hawks are semi-competitive. They might still save that for a Friday night later in the season. By then, by round 19, there's no Thursday night footy, but there would be potential for that game to be on a maybe on a Friday night or a Saturday night if the Hawks are half decent and Collingwood is absolute box office, which they could well be again. Um the Carlton game, the same again with Carlton. Round 22, they Channel 7, Brad, love your team, the Blues. So uh, if the Hawks are a competitive outfit, there's a reasonable chance that'll be some sort of primetime game. Richmond twice the MCG. So the, the six MCG home games being Geelong, uh, no order, Melbourne, Geelong, Sydney, Adelaide, Collingwood, Richmond. Hawthorne drew... Average 50,000 for the six MCG home games last year, which is the best for a number of years. They're all, even Adelaide, if they're going well, will draw five, 8,000 people, particularly the MCG. A lot of the supporters who come to Melbourne time and around a game at the MCG. So I would think uh, we see that there's potential there for Hawthorne to have five, at least five home games of around uh, 50,000 people, which is pretty good fantasy for the club. Yeah, and that flows into, I mean, we saw today that we've already clocked the 50,000 members. Crowds were generally pretty good last season. So, um, and we came home with a run of MCG games. So everyone's going to be excited to start the year. And yeah, I, I think you're right. I think we could see good, healthy crowds because everyone's still on board um, and the excitement's there. Oh, I'm really looking forward to my bucket list as um, Ethan and I travel around the country to tick off all the venues is up the stadium and that West Coast game, which hasn't specifically got a date yet, but that Friday is the last day of term, so it's school holidays. So we might do a um, some sort of Hawks Insiders fan travel pack or something and... Uh, or make make our way over to the west, but that that should be pretty good and potentially win it as well. Um, yeah, so that uh, well, that's actually one of the games. To look at this stage that they're they're likely to win. We we'll wait for confirmation for the club for the replacement games. Um, 
given that they play 10 games in outside Victoria, that only leaves five or six games to choose from. So you would think round one against Essendon might be a replacement game. Um, you would think just, one of the North... On that, yes, Mick. Sorry, man. We've got Essendon, Richmond, Carlton at the G for the replacement games, then North and the Dogs at Marvel, yep. and then the Geelong game. So it won't we'll be Geelong. Be no, it won't be Geelong. So it will be interesting without those five. That Because um, Richmond and Carlton, I think, have got pretty high um, reserve seat sort of allocation too. Um, I, well, I've, well, it has to be four of them. But, I mean, they usually just stick – I mean, for Richmond – they just stick all the Hawthorne supporters, um, and for Carlton, they just stick all the Hawthorne supporters in the in the Ponton stand, basically. Um, and the Collingwood game, interesting when the Hawthorne home game, because this is the first year where Collingwood don't have the complete Ponton stand themselves. So that second, and Hawthorne have been very actively selling Ponton stand seats um, as a package this year. I saw the membership package come out. They're selling Ponton stand seats, which means they know this year that the second level of Ponton stand, even when Hawthorne plays Collingwood, will be a Hawthorne area. So. Um, they, I'll do that with complete confidence this year. Whereas in the past, you know, the Hawthorne support members who do have seats there would have to be turfed out for Collingwood games. So that is as well. Um, so, but they'll announce that. They usually announce that. Uh, it's one of their two or three announcements that they make before the end of the year, along with the, the jumper numbers. I'll confirm what those are, uh, the replacement games. So, um, but I said, given that 10 out of the 13 games are outside Melbourne. Um, they are 10 to 23 outside Melbourne. Doesn't leave a whole lot for, for replacement games um, to be done. It's a North Melbourne last game of the year. Um, Dan Tassie, I don't think that game could, uh, well, might be a battle for the wooden spoon. If some people believe that to be the case. St Kilda and Tassie always gets a good crowd. So commercially, they'll be really happy with that one because St Kilda's got, particularly Northern Tassie from the sort of Daryl Baldock influence. Um, St Kilda always get good get a good crowd to Utah stadiums. That's I think Hawthorne would be happy with that piece of fixturing as well. Um, they go back to Canberra as well, I think, for round twenty one. Uh, we see you, you at the snow a few years ago, weren't you? Was definitely at the snow game. Um, so was I. Yeah, it was a rip up. That was also the uh, Clarkson Clarkson running running around in his shorts. And CJ's first game as well. So CJ's first game. That was will a be a good win. It was a good win. Uh, one of several false dawns around that uh, that time. Patrick, good evening. I was just going to say about Geelong. Don't they usually dump us, dump opposition fans? I don't know if it's the same for Hawthorne in front of the scoreboard, like in that little section. Yeah, that's because the capacity is twenty two thousand people. Got a whole new. The capacity is going up by 15,000 for next season. So there'll be more, yeah, there'll be that little pocket there. But I think there'll be more seats available for uh, opposition supporters at that. Um, I mean, they've got a big following now, John. So there won't be a lot of them. And it'll be sort of buy them quickly, sort of, a bit buy them quickly sort of deal. Um, but there will be scope for, I would say, 5,000. That, that bay, Patrick, looking at it, I've been going to Geelong for 20 years, but. That bay to me looks like maybe there'd be 500 people tops um, of away supporters sitting in that area. So you'd think that would go up uh, to a few thousand. I, I, w- I won't mention about that because I, I think I got into a war after the AFLW game there on Big Footy about them not opening that up since it was like all the stars last game and basically everyone was on the other side to the to where they were all walking off. 
Yeah, well, it costs a lot of money to open up a stadium, all parts of stadium for, you know, there's only two or 3,000 people there. So that's the that's the sound business decision for, for Geelong to make, I think, to, to do it that way. You can't have people spread out all over the ground when there's so few people there. But um, rest assured, when the Hawks come down there, uh, it'll be pretty full and uh, it'll be great to see. The last time Hawthorne played Geelong with you with a crowd, Hawthorne won. Is that right? East of 2006. Uh, yes, I'm going to take your word for it. it Luke Hodge kicked the goal with his pants, or his shorts around his ankle. Ah, oh, fantastic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a ripper. I think we spoke to him about that when we, yeah, um, we did. Yeah, when we spoke to him for the golden years. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, most people, uh, most of our listeners will have fond memories from down there because we went through that phase where. We were winning all the close games. We had such a great record, especially through the 90s. And Crap Hawthorne teams would go down Geelong and beat good Geelong teams coached by Gary Ayres for about three years in a row. So uh, was he, he hated that. He just couldn't – he hated – he didn't, didn't know why Hawthorne lifted for games against him. Yeah, it was magnificent. So, I mean, even the notion of uh, just reminiscing a bit from those trips and heading down – down the highway for the game next season will be fantastic. I think I'll be a good chance to go along next year because I can even just use my media pass to go stand somewhere and stay out of trouble. So I think I'll make my uh, first appearance at Geelong for a very long time next year down there. Um, a couple of things to the fixture before we finish up is no game in Sydney for the first time in a long time. I can't remember the last time someone here might know and jump on if you know without looking uh, at the stats, but Wilton Hawthorne hasn't had a game in Sydney, um, and they've got a they've got a quite a lot of following in Sydney. So, there'll be a few people disappointed the Hawks aren't coming to town at least once. Although, from a competitive point of view, Brad, that's probably a good thing. And they also um, go they play gold. That one game in Queensland is against the Suns. Actually, one of the I think the, I that's Saturday them, night. Yeah, they've got three games on Channel Seven. I think for the first. For the, until the, uh, for the first 15 rounds. One of these Easter Monday game, of course, one is the Gold Coast game, which surprisingly Channel 7 is showing ahead of something that I thought one of the fixture might be, might have been a better game. And I'm not sure off the top of my head which is the other um, dedicated Channel 7 game. There's one other there in that fixture that is um, set down. Oh, it's a Sunday 3.20 Adelaide Oval game against Port. I think it's also a... Um, Channel 7 game. They have bought those Sunday Twilight games forward by 40 minutes as well. Because they've got a few Sundays, they've got triple headers that they try to get rid of the overlapping games, which as a TV viewer and also as a working football journalist is a bloody good thing to not have overlapping games. And I think that's why they've got some these four o'clock games on a Sunday, I think in most cases are followed by a seven o'clock game. So that is not a bad thing as well. Anything else in the fixture before we move on? Well, I, I just think on that, it's very rare that we get Gold Coast up there. I think we've had a couple of years with them in Darwin and when we do get a Brisbane game, it's it seems to be against Brisbane. So someone might be able to, I don't have, uh, I don't have it at my fingertips, but it seems, it seems very rare that we actually play them up there. I think we played them the last couple of years, but we haven't played there a lot. Hawthorne generally just did not play in Queensland a lot. And uh, it was a source of uh, the club actually um, did say the AFL was so we were actually like to play a game in Brisbane. And they played one 
a few years back. They played their first one there for a long time and still when the Lions were no good. It would have been the 16, 15, 16, 17 time there. And the Lions were just going and Hawthorne came to town for the first time in a long time and they were, I had some mates who were at the game. They said there were, there were more Hawthorne supporters there than Brisbane supporters because they were... It had been so long to they'd played there. So, um, again, if Hawthorne played in Brisbane now, there'd be, yeah, it'd be 98% Brisbane people. Um, I oh, reckon, Ash, that might have been Matt Spanger's last game for the club when he got injured um, partway through the game. I think you might be right, actually. Um, yeah, it was a big, uh, yeah, it was a big uh, party occasion for Hawthorne people. Yeah, that does sort of sounds maybe like 2015 or 2016, whenever that was. Um, now, the AGM, there's been a bit of talk about the AGM not being at the uh, traditional home of the Hawthorne AGM, which has been the Hawthorne Town Hall for as long as the club's been in existence, I suspect. The meetings have been at the uh, Hawthorne Town Hall. Um, a bit of um, uproar and outrage when that was first announced. Andrew Gower's club president has put out a statement, with one of his, his regular letters to members lobbed in my inbox earlier today with it. what seems to be a fairly sensible explanation that the reason they're moving it to Waverley is because they want to conduct some tours at the same time. Hawthorne have traditionally not had many public tours of the facility at Waverley, given it's funny they're doing it now and you know, they're in the last two years there before they moved to uh, to Dingley. But they Are we sure about it. that? <laughs> uh, well, you can only hope, Patrick. Um, they... So they're going to do a tour of uh, allow fans or members or members uh, to do a tour of uh, the facility, see the change rooms and the museum, what have you. Then conduct the AGM and the traditional finger food uh, and drinks to be served afterwards. So I guess that's a reasonable outcome the uh, for the club to do it that way. I, you know, I've always I've, I went to the one I think last year at the Hawthorne Town Hall. It's always a good to get back. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer that. Once a year or twice a year, Hawthorne needs to do something in the heartland, being Hawthorne itself. It's where the club's history is, Glenferry Oval, uh, which is being redeveloped at the moment. Um, and we can't just wait to the next premiership um, premiership day after, which will be 2028 or 2029, Brad, um, to go back to Glenferry Oval. But it's probably a reasonable thing to get people to have a look at uh, Waverley before it, uh, it too becomes... Um, a part of Hawthorne history. Apparently, Patrick, they are fairly, rather than just land clearing, but actual construction is going to start very soon. Oh, that's that's exciting. That's good to hear. I thought you'd know. I, I thought, thought you'd, you'd, I thought you'd the be there running for a the second. Oh, funnily enough, I was down that way a couple of weeks ago and I managed to. Um, run into Ned Reeves in South, at Southland, so he must be one of the ones who's moved down that way, ready for the new for the new site. Yep, the real estate agents of the uh, Cheltenham, Blackrock, Sandy, Hampton region are very excited at the thought that Hawthorne moved to Dingley, looking for talented young footballers going to open for inspections. And they could jack up the prices 10% with uh, all the money the players are about to make. AJ, did you want to say something? Sorry. I just thought you'd stun Paddy into silence for a second there. Yeah, no, that's his first. I was also gonna. I was also gonna say, thinking about something about the not having any presence really in Hawthorne. It's an almost time when we do move to Dingley and we close up the Hawks Nest at Waverley, at looking at like buying a shop or something there and putting a mini Hawks Nest in Hawthorne or something. 
Well, I would have thought, given that retail uh, is struggling at the moment and re rentals are down, probably not Glen Ferry Oval because um, because it's off the street. But what, I've always thought the club should just have a pop-up store, in, uh, even just for the duration of the season, just from sort of March to September, have or from February to September, have a pop-up store somewhere in Glen Ferry Road. Uh, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world just to... Have some merch and you know, take a couple of items out of the museum and put it there for posterity. Just uh, to to have some presence in the heartland. Obviously, Glenferry Oval is not suitable for training or anything like that anymore. But um, I would have thought there'd be some scope there to do something at uh, maybe Glenferry a family. Road. Maybe bring back like a family day before we move. Like yeah. you assume they won't do family days and anything at Glenferry or Waverley once we move because you'd want the massive space of Dingley. So is it a good opportunity? Yeah, family to do something day. before we move. Well, family days will be Christmas. They're doing something in a couple of weeks on Saturday morning. One at uh, Wave, which I think will be the day they probably unveil jumpers as well. Before we go, AJ, you are the merch guru. Um, what are your thoughts? They seem to be doing a lot of gold. They've gone back to the traditional gold and brown. Now you wrote a piece that's just appeared on the Substack. Are you impressed? And we don't have Darren here to poo-poo everything, which is a blessing. Um what are your thoughts on what you're seeing out of the club so far? I absolutely love it. I think um, the the benchmark for me at the moment is the 2021 20, uh, Adidas gear, which was the navy blue with just gold logos on it because I thought those looked incredible. Um, I think everything looks great this year. The, the use of the carbon colour for a lot of the training gear and for the hoodies and the polo shirts and things like that I think looks great. There's the photo of Jack Gunston. Um, when he got back to the club in the polo shirt, and I was more like, wow, that shirt looks great than it was. Like, how good is it seeing Jack back at the club? Um, I think they've done a really good job with it this year. You can read all my thoughts on it on the on the Substack. But, yeah, overall, and the big thing for me also, the Indigenous artwork that's incorporated into it, and particularly the Indigenous pattern of a hawk, which has become a key part of all the merch. I think they've done a really good job. Yeah, I think they... Uh... They probably had to. I mean, such a long leading time for this sort of stuff. They probably did a fairly quick job the first time, the first year with um, ISC and sketches and whatever. And now they've had a bit more time to think about some medium to long term design work. I think it uh, all looks pretty good. But um, as I said, every I don't know. So they tend to wear different coloured tops for a lot of the sessions. But as I said, from what I've seen so far, it tends to be the traditional gold and brown. So. The one, good thing, one thing I will say about ISC is that I think we're all a little bit concerned jumping from Adidas to ISC that's like, hard oh, to step down. It's a bit cheap. And the, the quality of the stuff is not cheap at all. I think ISC have actually nailed that. The Guernseys look really good. Um, all the gear is pretty good quality, so I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, well, this have pretty much got out of the AFL space now, I think. So um, I know Puma are pretty big now at several clubs, but uh, I think the Hawk, Hawk merch... And the training gear, from what I've seen, looks pretty good. So, uh, so far, so good. Patrick, quick on before we go. Patrick, go ahead. I was just going to say, Andrew, what's your thoughts on the new um, Legends one? For me, I find it sort of annoying because I like, really like the design, but then it's also not as different to last year. So it's like, can you really justify getting it, even though it, the design probably looks better? Yes, I can justify getting it, and I will justify getting Someone it. Someone might have um, to hold me back at the hawk's nest when I go near it. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's 
the best way a heritage jumper could go for Hawthorne is to have the monogram and everything. What was pointed out uh, the last time we did a, a space was it is a little bit strange to bring back the, the year one jumper in the 99th year. It does feel like you'd wait for the 100-year celebrations to really roll that jumper out. Yeah, they they don't have many options, really. It's either brown on gold or gold on brown with the sort of V jumper. They don't have a lot because it's meant to be markedly different from the brown and gold stripes that they wear. So they it's really just mucking around on the fringes. Uh, I mean, to be a the jumper... The other thing Ash always goes on about is we've got these legends in legends jumpers that they never, ever played in. No, that's right. I mean, Michael Tuck wore brown and gold stripes all the time. All of our club legends wore stripes, so it doesn't really work that way. What you could have done is left this jumper for next year and this year gone with the gold yoke with the monogram in the middle of the jumper, which was the last VFA jumper we wore. So that would be a nice little lineup of wearing your last VFA jumper the year before we hit the 100 years. Yeah, well, I know for a fact, because I did ask the club, um, this will be the 100th season that the Hawks are competing in the league, as it's called, but they're saving their centenary. So they're not doing what the AFL did around celebrating 100 seasons. So they did everything in, in 1996, which is really because Ross Oakley knew he was going to retire. So he wanted the centenary celebrations before he retired. Hawthorne and I understand North and the Bulldogs are all saving their 100-year celebrations for the hundredth, the, the year they turn 100 rather than the 100th season. So it'll be 2025 will be a whole boatload of events and uh, taking place at the footy club. And whether they do another jumper again, I don't know. Um, but we're talking about Hawks and Tigers. We're going to do a couple of things content-wise, I think, to celebrate 100, the 100th season. Uh, we've got a couple of ideas we're throwing around, which you'll see in the new year, to mark 100 seasons of Hawthorne being in the AFL or the VFL slash AFL, which should be some fun. Um, now, Weesey, anything before we finish up? Uh, no, I did just have to look it up to justify my comments about Gold Coast. We've played them 17 times, only four in Queensland, so that was right. Um, but also... Just watch this space. We've got some pretty awesome ideas for early in the year next year that we're just exploring and going to keep the content coming. So uh, hopefully, um, yeah, we've got some some good pre-season stuff to report on and, and we'll have some more pods and what have you coming over the next uh, next couple of months before it gets really serious. I don't want to say too much, but... Uh... Live show might be a possibility, so don't want to say too much. But uh, we might actually get off our asses and get into all the one place at the one time where you can join us. But we're uh, we might have a save the date pre Christmas. Might actually, yeah, we might actually do the save the date before Christmas for you to, in your diaries, get a babysitter or get the night off work or whatever. We might actually all convene in the one place for a bit of a yak. Surprise, the Hawks insiders are going to the Hawthorne Town Hall this year, not the club. <laughs> That's right. We should actually. <laughs> Bingo. Uh, yeah, there you go. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do a Rebel AGM. Um, we, uh, no, we're looking to do something where we can actually get out and say hi to you all in person, which would be wonderful. So um, watch this space for that. So, I think we might finish up there. Um, we had apologies tonight from Darren, who, of course, being Darren, who's out and about 
doing Darren work things somewhere and Daniel's also unavailable. Both send their apologies. And Myra doesn't do football off-seasons, I've decided, do we see? No, no, football off-season is not his thing. Uh, A few few interesting comments which have definitely (laughs) validated that. (laughs) Yeah, you basically know who'd been... He didn't know he'd been trudged other teams apart from those who's come to Hawthorne until he reminded him. So he's not much value at this time of year, but he will return uh, a bit down the track as the footy gets closer. So that's it for Hawks Insiders. Thank you, everyone, for your support once. As always, five bucks a month, $50 a year for great content. We'll keep pumping some stuff into the Substack between now and the end of the year. We'll probably will be taking some downtime through most of January, uh, as we did last year, before bouncing back in February to be remarkably soon and close to the start of the season by the time we reconvene in February. It's all happening so quickly. So almost a summer sport now, football, the way it's going. Um, thank you, AJ, for jumping on tonight. Thank you, Mick, as always, for your help. Brad, well done to you. Any last thoughts before we go? No, just uh, looking forward to following the boys in their pre-season training and you know see how we're hopefully going to line up come round one next year, as we've spoken about. It's going to come around really quickly. Yeah, they'll probably do some sort of, uh, not on the Saturday morning, they'll probably do, a lot of clubs tend to do almost a scratch match before they break for Christmas. They just like to have a look at things and then know what they've got to fix when they resume training after they take another three weeks off or uh, break. So those who do go to training in the last sort of week or so before Christmas might get a bit of a look at how they think about lining up next year. So everyone gets there, be sure to let us know. Uh, thanks, everyone. Enjoy the weekend. We'll be back if not next week, then the week after, to look at more off-season stuff with the Hawks. Thanks, everyone, and good night. This was another Hawks Insiders production. Make sure to subscribe to our Substack for wall-to-wall Hawthorne Footy Club coverage.